Good news, you're here just in time. Here's another Laneway Talks. Hi, everybody. We're here today uh, interviewing Chris Stockley from from the Dingoes and Axiom, um, and we are going to go through his career from beginning to end. And uh, how are you, Chris? Welcome to Laneway Talks. Um, good, Vincent. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. So... Uh, where did you grow up? Were you in Australia? Were you overseas? And what was the story? I'm from Winchester in Hampshire, England. Um, and my family migrated to Australia in around about 1964. Um, not the best timing in the world at that time because England was going through the, uh, just started the, the, the swinging London thing with the huge bands like the Beatles and the Stones the Who, Small Faces, you know, all that was happening. And I loved music so much. Um, had you, how old were you when you came over? 16. So you'd already uh, be, you'd already learnt the guitar, you were playing the guitar, proficient? Oh, no, not really. I, I didn't really play until I got here. And I'll tell you the story for that is that um, yeah. uh, I was through, like, going back through history, like with Elvis, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Eddie Cochran, those sort of guys I discovered that rock and roll come from rhythm and blues, which come from the blues. So I discovered all the blues artists, like going back to Muddy Waters and through right back to Robert Johnson and those guys and became a bit of a blues nut. And once again, the timing was um, kind of good because that was the driving force behind that English revival. It was mainly rhythm and blues that people, the Stones and the Beatles and those bands were covering. Would well you consider Elvis Presley too, um, getting into that or more poppy blues? Oh, no, look, Elvis was incredible like, because he, he just had the whole spectrum of it. He had the country thing, the gospel thing, the blues thing. He was, you know, you can't overestimate the influence that that guy had on the English bands and indeed American bands. But, um, yeah, he, he was just sensational. Yeah, so you get to Australia and you decide you're loving, you know, music and what do you decide? Do you want to pick up the guitar? This is what I want to do. I'm, I'm really loving this. Yeah, well, when I got to Australia, I was very disappointed to find that um, there were no R&B clubs and there were no R&B bands either. Um, and it was a little bit behind at that stage and I remember the dances that I, my aunt would take me to were called 60-40 dances and it was like ballroom dancing and maybe the band would play a couple of rock and roll songs and people could jive but it was really, it was pretty sad So <laughs> really. well, hold on, let's let just go, you're going to dances but hold on, you're 16, right? Yeah. What was the drinking age here, 21? Uh, I think it might have been 21. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know what the drinking thing. I, mean, I don't recall. You couldn't have got into uh, a club, could you? So you were getting in underage, weren't you? Could be. Could be. I, I have no idea of licensing rules at that stage. But um, yeah. you know, I know you couldn't drink in a pub to your age in or something. But they used to take me to these clubs and um, I wasn't very impressed with the music. Yeah. But that's what led me to get a guitar and start teaching myself a smuggery, uh, R&B stuff and some old rock and roll. Um, and because there was nowhere to go and see these people that I used to like, um, I decided to create my own music. And uh, for a couple of weeks, I worked at the age, um, and I ran into John Pugh, who went on to greater things. Yeah. And um, he and I formed a little duo, 
he told he taught me about Bob Dylan. I taught him about Howard Wolf and Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson, and we had a little duo, which was good. And then with the Stones starting to become big, we decided to follow that road and get the drums and bass, electric guitars and amps, and became the Roadrunners. You know, you know, I, I often because you know I'm a little bit younger than you, and I often think about those bands. Let's call the mid '60s. And you're going. We've got our amps and whatever. But what what was it like? You just had so you just had a couple of amps. No such thing as a PA system. So you just put your microphone um, through the amp. I mean, what was uh, it? When we were rehearsing, we did something like that. But um, I know could hire little tiny PAs. Yeah, and they were totally inadequate. But that's all there was really. I, <laughs> and I, I, I guess in the venues like Q Club, those big yeah, um, yeah. town halls. They would have had to have someone put in, you know, a somewhat bigger yeah. PA than what we were getting. Yeah, but yeah. I must say, they still were very, very small. Yeah, very primitive PAs too, weren't oh, they? I mean, extremely yeah. primitive. Yeah. But it'd be just four channels, like yeah. four vocals. Yeah. No one was making up equipment in those days. That came later. Yeah. But um. So therefore, so that, yeah, where do you go to from there? So you got the duet going. You're doing a bit of work there. Um, what are you moving to next? We get the Roadrunners, the four-piece band, and um, then we discovered no one was really writing songs in those days. People were doing copying, mainly the uh, the English bands of the day, and we noticed that every time we'd learn a couple of songs, pinched from test records, it would be on the next Stones album or the next Animals album or something like that. So we said, oh, we've got to move on here. So we discovered soul music, and then we started pinching Hold Mum Coming and Respect and you know, or Sam and Dave Otis Redding, uh, Wilson Pickett, Midnight yeah. Hour. Yeah. Um, and we that's where we went. And it was then during that time that we first decided, you know, finally awakening of the fact that the Beatles and the Stones were now writing their own songs and not covering other people's, that we should do that. So we kind of attempted um, doing originals, which I said every band was going through the same thing at the time. It's, it's a completely um, different mindset. If you if you take it for yeah. 50, 60 years and if you, you know, you want to pursue your career in the music business, you write originals. You don't do cover work, right? No, but right. you go back to then and as you said, well, we were doing all that and we thought, well, we've got to start writing our, our own material and it wasn't that common. Is that what you're saying mm. back then? Yeah. That's right. Everyone was happy to just cover the Beatles or the Stones or you know, whatever. But um, it was obviously the Beatles opened that door. You know, by, yeah, yeah. By, I mean, all their hits were basically their own songs, as yeah. opposed to earlier when people were just covering records. Yeah. But uh, so you know, every band was doing this. So you, you, know, got, they, they so you got the Road Runners, and what and happened? I mean, into. Um, well, then that morphed into Compact, yeah. and that's when we got the, into the soul thing and writing our own songs. Yeah. Um, then that got a bit poppy for me, a bit too you know, teeny bop sort of thing. Yeah. And um, I got offered the gig with Axiom, um, with John uh, Moody and Brian Cadd, Glenn Shorrock and so, Doug Lavery, right. who had all been in huge bands. Glenn in Twilight, John and Brian in the group, and Dougie from the Valentines. Yeah. Now, all those guys that had huge hit records. Campbell had, had, I think, a couple of hits. One of them was a cover of James and Bobby Purifies, I'm Your Puppet. So and we did a lot of TV and we were straight in the studio and recording with them, Axiom. So we had no problems. We, we were like a huge band overnight. 
yeah. because of the, the, all the members passed. You know, we had no trouble getting work or getting record deals or getting our faces on television. Well, well, of, was, well of course, I just, I'll just butt in there and say, so no problem getting record deals. And Axiom, to this day, I know, still get a lot of streaming and get a lot of video streaming. But yeah. as we know, the deals back in those days were an absolute shocker. And mm-hmm. you'd be lucky, some people are even on half a percent. A lot of the contracts I've seen from the early 70s are three and a half percent of wholesale. Wholesale's a yep. debatable price. And yep. so you're getting signed and you know, you're recording and you're having hit songs, but were you making any money? Um, not a lot. But I think, once again, you look at a band like Axiom and they probably got a better deal than what you're talking about simply on the strength of the previous members' success. I mean, yeah. the group had had unknown amounts of number one hits and, and the Twilight's the same. I remember, I think, the Valentines were that stage had had two or three number ones. And Dougie also played with Doug Parkinson. So, yes. you know, they're all... And even my humble self, I did have a couple of hits. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, yeah, we were probably lucky. We have got a better deal than most people. But yeah. like you say, even the good deals were pretty bad back then. So there wasn't a great deal of money to be made. Although I should say it's probably more than what you get at Spotify. So. Yeah, well, we'll put. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the digital. We'll get to that, and we'll discuss that. But. Um, you know, I, I get pretty uh, a bit pent up and a bit emotional about, you know, some of the deals that were going on and the people that were actually creating the music were simply feeding the corporations that uh, were then on selling it and their lifestyles. But the guys mm. that created it were the bottom dwellers in a sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah okay, there's one or two or three or four that really made the, you know, let's, Elvis Presley or the Rolling Stones, but mm-hmm. you know, you, it it really, um, and, we, and we will get to a bit of that. So, therefore, what happens with Axiom? You um, you're having a few hits here, and what do you decide yep. to do? Uh, I think we racked up two or three hits, and um, we decided, like every other band in Australia, to go to England. Um, Glennon had been there with the Twilights and broken up. Don and Brian had been there with the group and broken up. And the, the Master's Apprentice did the same thing. Um, so I actually went over um, full of hope. And uh, we were quite lucky in getting a record deal. We got a fairly good deal with Warner Brothers um, in England. Um, sadly, we didn't gig much. Um, why, 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 why is that? So you, you've been signed by a major label. You're obviously being paid um, and you're recording, but you're not gigging much. I mean... Yeah, well, that's... That, exactly. It, the, the record took a long time, first of all, to get signed and then get in the studio and make the record. took a real long time, um, far too long, and we weren't really uh, wanted to work. I mean, the, the record company didn't want us to work really until we'd... Um, got the record out and there was some point to touring and therefore they'll probably give you some tour support or something like that. Yeah. But, um, and for myself personally, I would have preferred, I would be quite happy to go along to the local pub and play for nothing, you yeah. know, a few yeah. bucks or a few pints. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of the guys already done that with their previous bands and they decided that that was kind of tough. If you come from 
a level like the twilights in the group and then you find yourself carrying your own gear in the snow and also your support <laughs> yeah. from someone else you know yeah. and they said no it's not a good thing so we decided to play the record company way and okay let's wait till the record's out and do it sadly that had us living in a house very close proximity to each other and and then when the wives and girlfriends arrived from australia and shifted in it's kind of split the band in that it wasn't the five guys hanging out and drinking and going to shows anymore. Yeah. It was people going out with their wives and girlfriends, and it kind of, you know. I, I tend to I tend around, to you know. understand that totally. In that, uh, as much as whether it be on the female side with a male, or whether it be a female band with a male, once the partners get involved, um, the concentration. This is my opinion. The concentration yeah. uh, starts to wane. People start to drift. Um, yeah. You know, and. Um, if a, if a band is together, if the, the, if the cohesion of the band's there and they're writing and being creative, uh, you want no distractions. And that comes out in the music. So uh, sure. how many times have we seen a supergroup album come out and you go, this is going to be absolutely terrific for supergroup members, uh, but they've never really played together before and you can hear it in the music in a sense that yeah, it, 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 it doesn't gel. It's just for great musicians. So um, so therefore, Axiom are starting to feel the pressure and is it split time? Uh, well, we came back just as we completed the album, they got a single together and put that out in Australia to give us a bit of warm-up time. Yeah. Um, so we come back and did a tour around, right around Australia and yeah. My Baby's Gone was the hit. Yeah. From that, and that was got to the number two or three in the start here, and then we went back to England to sort of follow it up, and I think the rot had set in, and we we're all just basically sick of living in one house together yeah. and yeah. Um, not doing anything much. The relationship <laughs> so, burnout had essentially yeah, started yeah, to set in. Yeah, but that was the smart thing. When I went to America with the Dingoes, yeah. apart from we first moved over as a band, when we had our partners join us, we all had our own places. Yeah. And that, yeah. that kept the band together because when the five guys were together, yeah. they're together. And when they're with their wives, they're with their wives and so on. But, um, yeah, that was much better thought out. But unfortunately, that's... Um, that was the end of Axiom. So then it goes on to the Dingoes, does it? Well, yeah, um, what was left of Axiom, the dregs, and uh, we've got a <laughs> gig on a boat, played our way back to yeah. Australia, um, and then we were on our separate ways. None, no one really did much of import at that particular time, yeah. and then I was just, you know, playing around in various bar bands, and until um, so I got the call from Broderick, um, and Broderick um, and Karen, I'd met in, back in the blues days. Of Chicago, yeah, and uh, they'd send me play, and I'd send them play, and they said they're going to do this band. So I said, That sounds really good because it's um, pretty hardcore R&B, blues, and country music. What well, was, was Broderick was yeah. still in Carson or not? Uh, he was either still in it or just out of it, I'm not yeah. sure which. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but and Karen had just come from country radio, so yes. he yeah. already had a couple of hits under his belt. Yeah. But he'd written with um, 
Greg Quill, like Gypsy Queen and Winter Song. Yeah. Probably had a hit with Carson, Boogie. Yeah. Um, I might, you know, my history anyway. Yeah. But, uh, and that, that, uh, was kind of great because it, it was, I felt that's where I should have been in that band, you know, because it was exactly the music I liked at the time. It's interesting um, that you, what, what, you classed it as what, um, blues and country and what, some rock. Whereas for me, as a as a punter, and um, and the Dingoes were probably that first Dingoes album um, mm-hmm. probably got played to death on my turntable, and I classed you simply as a a really good country rock band with more yeah. Australian country than rock, and and the rock just sat under the bed of the music and gave it that class act. Anyway, that 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 was for me. Um, yeah, you know, and it uh, I didn't I didn't really bring the blues into it. I just it just had that Australiana country to it, but with yeah. a rock base. But that's what you do, you know. You don't sort of just go out and copy the stuff that you learn from. You incorporate it into the stuff you write. And the other thing I point out, um, a lot of people love that record, and what do you all do, you know. Yeah. Um, for all kinds of awards and yeah. this, that, and the other. It gave us a couple of hit records. Um, but I was a bit disappointed in that fact that when, if you saw Dingo's Live, it was a really hard knock pub band. Yeah. And the country thing was like one facet. Yeah. But on that album, you get the idea that um, it was much more laid back. And it wasn't. It was actually a quite a bloody heavy rock band. And um, But to this day, if you hear any dingoes on the radio, it's usually way up west or boy on the run, which is all very well, but they weren't really typical of what we were doing at the time. I yeah. kind of better idea yeah. to ever got your hands on live at the station, Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is like, wow, you know. Well, I, I, you know, if you look high. at Sydney Ladies, um, and that was yours, Sydney Ladies was one, wasn't it? Was that one? Yeah, of tra- yeah. yeah. And if you list. listen, yeah, if you listen to that, it's it's a it's a rock. Essentially, what you said, it's a rock song. But for some yep. reason, it's got a touch of country in it. I don't know how. I mean, I think basically the Dingoes established a new form of country rock music. I really yeah, do. I agree with that. You know, yep. and you you set the standard. And I remember reading in Duke. Um, Prior to you guys going to America, and I was an avid, you know, I used to dream myself, you know, about the music business, and and it and they went through, I think maybe a, a 10, 10 Australian acts and what to expect in the next twelve months, and the number one um, a success story was going to be the Dingoes in America, and that was wow. it. That was at the top, and I remember it really clearly. Who was going to make it in the next twelve months? The Dingoes in America. And I had no reason to not believe that because by the time, I suppose, we get to the next level, the dingoes were gone and they'd gone to America. Um, yeah. And I went, wow. And then I, I think Five Times the Sun came out. That was the second one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it just blew me away in the, the quality, firstly, but the sound and the creativity in there was just world class, and I thought, well, they, Jesus, they were right down at Duke. Um, yep. You know, this was this was happening. But tell me the well, tell me the real story. We know the story about management and that you know the Leonard Skinner thing and all that. Yeah. 
you know, uh, we've all, all heard it. But, you know, you did play some big supports over there, didn't you? Oh, yeah, we did. We, um, I mean, we big stages. We were, yeah, we started out in Canada um, yeah. rehearsing until they fixed up all our visas and we went to the States, especially living in um, Little Valley, California. Yeah. Um, they made the record in San Francisco. Yeah. And then uh, they started us on the road, like doing little gigs um, around the place in the you know, backwater, you know, nowhere you're going to get known too much. Yeah. And then as we went on, the gigs got better and the supports we were doing got better, so we started playing the bigger crowds. It's all done very well. You know? yeah, now, this was with A&M, is that correct? A&M Records yeah. and Peter Rutgers, yeah. the management company. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, like, sure, we started working with bands like Tom Petty and, um, oh, Oh, so you were playing in front of some pretty damn big crowds. Yeah, big crowds and good places. Uh, I mean, we did Charlie Daniels on, I think it was Long Island or somewhere yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we were, we were – and they very carefully, they chose the right act for us to be with, which often is not the case they hear, where they just bung him on with wherever that happens to be in oh, town. Oh, yeah, complete so, waste of time. Yeah, yeah, playing yeah, with someone. Whereas they had it for Charlie Daniels and with Tom Petty and acts like that that were we were complimentary to them. Mm. And how how did you how did you feel when you played? Did did you do some big arenas or whatever as supports? We never got that. Uh, that was when it stopped because of the Skinner thing. Basically, we were going to start doing the bigger the bigger yeah. tours, but the, the clubs we were playing yeah. were like. Incredibly well known. They were known as showcase yeah. places. Yeah. Um, um, and like the bands I just mentioned, there were many more, of course. And, and they were huge bands, but they would go to these places. They'd play the clubs. They'd sell records. They'd often record at these clubs because they had a better sound than yeah. the arenas. Yeah. Um, so they were top, you know, the, the places we played were the same as the top bands in, from England and America were playing. You, you we, would you have know, been playing around the same time the Eagles were doing their first record too, right, correct? Yeah. Oh, the Eagles, when um, we were, just before we went to America, of course, um, the Eagles were huge. And I know our road manager at the time would check his system with um, Desperado, <laughs> which was in a magnificent record at the time. But uh, uh, we got a bit set up after a while. You walk in every gig we were going to do, and it'd be Desperado playing. But that was a great record. <laughs> yeah. And when we got over there, of course, Hotel of California had come out as well, and, and yeah. that was just massive. That yeah. was just huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely put you in that category. I mean, and I, I think if things could have been different, it would have been the dingoes, there's no yeah. doubt. So what? So we know that what happened with management and the, you know, and the death of a few members of Skinner and and then... It was was there no was there a no point of any return in that well management had gone you couldn't get somebody else or it just all fell apart what happened? Um, well, the wind went out of it obviously because they'd lost main songwriters and players and singers, um, and with that wind along along with Roger's main source of income, I would imagine. So yeah. there wasn't any money to spend on the dingoes anymore. Yeah, um, and we sort of hung in. But it was fairly obvious that unless that record magically picked up and sold, we were going to be left behind, and that's essentially what happened. Yeah. Um, I think the band started to crumble. 
there was an album done after I'd gone. Um, so when did you – so Five Times Sun's out and then there was yep. – I thought there was that third one which had some of the old songs on it and some new yeah. songs, yeah? Orphans of the Storm. Yeah, it's orphan, yeah. yeah, it was kind of half-hearted in a sense, wasn't it? Because it wasn't yeah, all new. Yeah, But I, I sort of – they used one of my songs on it, High Living, but yeah. um, I was gone by then. I went up to Toronto and joined up with uh, Greg Quill, which is where I met Sad to see, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg Quill from Country Radio. Correct, yeah. And but what what had he been uh, for the for people listening? Had he established a career over there? As um, he was doing gigs, and he was also working as a journalist, which is kind of stock in trade, you know. Um, and he was just working on getting a record deal, but it was uh, it became a bit tough. It was he wasn't making much headway, and when you're in a place like Toronto, which is freezing bloody cold and wet and you haven't got much money yeah. <laughs> can get you down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So long story short is that um, we came back to Australia to tour. Yeah. And now, and now when you say we, who are you referring to? Yeah. Well, that, that band that was, um, that he had in, in Canada, which was some country radio, and, um, myself and that, we came back here and Sam and I, I think decided that, um, we had a better Sam, future here. Sam C. Yeah, Sam C. Yeah. And um, it also, you know, once you get used to nice weather, it's hard to go back. I, I couldn't live in England again unless I had the money to go to the south of France every time I wanted to. And yeah. it's the same with Canada. It's just yeah. too damn cold. It's, yeah. You know, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So you get back to Australia. Mm. So the dingoes is essentially just about all gone. Oh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, you're back here. So, what do you decide to do? Uh, did the usual thing, just um, hung around for players, and we eventually hit upon Glenn Mason, who wasn't doing much at the time. So, mm. we put together Stockley C. Mason with the uh, well, sensational, ba- sensational band. Sensational yeah. band. I mean, says- yeah, Jake Stewart and Jeff Rosenberg, and we went out, and once again, we. Um, didn't have a lot of trouble getting work. We were doing pretty good, you know, five yeah. gigs a week sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and made a record, uh, even made a promo film. That's right, which, which Laneway got out, which is up on our yeah. YouTube channel. And it's really, really worth a look because uh, the music that was recorded live is pretty damn good. I look back Absolutely. at that and think, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Absolutely. Um, so then what happened? And so you're playing around a Stockley C and Mason. Why no yep. second record? Um, I think it's one of those things you look back and think, well, maybe we were working so hard yeah. and nonstop, and I think we should, should have been able to take a, a bit of a break um, and recharge the batteries, but we just kept working endlessly. And I think in the, in the end, Glenn sort of um, had had enough uh, of that, and he he quit. And Sam and I struggled on for a while, and we tried some different singers, but it just didn't work. It wasn't the same. So yeah, we um. Well, you know, I, and I think on. too the the other thing that comes into it is that you're all starting to get on. You know, you're not yeah. you're not in your early twenties. Um, most people probably married by that stage, or very yep. firmly in a relationship. You need money. 
uh, you know, and all these things intertwine and you're in this creative industry where you've got to be creative and you've got to be a bit loose and whatever to be creative. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes formulatic. And, you know, that's very far and few between. Um, so, you know, I if that starts to get you start, was that the case too that you were starting to yeah, get um, on and go, well, what am I doing? I need to get some money. I need to make some money. Yeah, the album, unfortunately, didn't yield a hit single. Yeah. And it would have been probably the best thing if we could have, as I said, taken a few weeks off, even a month off, and gone away and say, okay, guys, we need a single. We've got to write a hit. And if we can't get one, we'll find someone who can. I'm not proud. Let's do it. Let's, we just need a hit to keep on going. And that wasn't happened. That didn't. So we just basically fell apart once again. And um, I think what happened after that was, I had a holiday band um, called Rock Doctors with oh the, um, yeah yes yeah 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 with the with the guys from um, mainly from the Falcons. The so Jeff, Jeff uh, wh- wh- who's the guitarist? Yeah, Jeff Burston. Jeff Burston first, and then then and then Wayne Wayne Burt. Uh, Wayne Burt. Um, wow. Of course, we had um. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Gary well, Young on well, drums. Gary Gary on drums. Steve Williams on sax and harp. Yep. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, John Power on bass yep. and huge vocals. Was he? Was, was he? He was the ball guy on bass. Yeah. yeah what? What? what, what uh, yeah, just sensational. Yeah, he was incredible. Wasn't yeah. it? I he mean, so you got the now. Rock Doctors happening as your? Yeah. As that was your side band, was it? It, it was a holiday band, but then it, I, I think it was after Stockton Mason sort of um, folded. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the Falcons had, had changed. Joe was probably off on another tangent. But whatever whatever I had happened, the Rock Doctors went on to become like a really burning band, you know, yeah. doing four or five a week. And um, that, once again, I was back to playing R&B and country again. Yeah. Right. I loved it. And yeah. We put out just like a... Um, an EP type thing, which yeah. was really good. Great yeah. stuff. So, uh, where to from there? Um, okay, with the Rock Doctors, um, we, I think once again, you get stuck in that grind of doing four or five gigs a week, and very often it's the same gigs, or you know, every couple of weeks, and it just wears you down after a while, and then the band sort of crumbled, and um, you know, everyone went their own way and started doing bits and pieces. Yeah. So I didn't have yeah. anything much after that until yeah. I got a call from Jimmy Barnes and went up and played with his first solo band when he quit Chisel. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this would be eighty maybe eighty three, eighty four? Early eighties, yeah, I couldn't tell you exactly what year. I mean I was at Mushroom in eighty four and yeah. the first album had just come out, probably okay. six months prior. And so that was being toured. So, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe, what, 82, 83, 83, yeah. I would think. Um, and so you're doing the Jimmy Barnes thing because I think Mal Eastick was – he came in That's too, right. didn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah uh, and, was Yep. And then um, what happens from there? Um, well, that went on for quite a while, but Jimmy, you know, is always experimenting and yeah. changing players. Yeah. I mean, um, so my time, time come to an end. Yeah. And uh, what happened after that? Gee, well, that when did well, when did Hard Road start? That's more the mid nineties. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, I think Lou he was. Well, that's a good record that, too. Oh, 
Oh yeah, look, it was a great band, um, a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah, um, we were playing like pretty raucous country music, and at that stage, Tamworth was still pretty straight. Yeah, and I think um, that worked against us a bit, and also the fact that we weren't part of the um, the Tamworth clique. Well, would the dingoes have ever clicked in Tamworth? We should have. But I think what happened with the dingoes is we, we nicked overseas. Yeah. You know, when our time came. Oh, well, they've taken control of, of Way Out West, that's for sure. That's, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, they, well, yeah. it's become a number one record twice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we got we so, got the Blue Healers. Now, who was the singer in the Blue Healers? Leslie Avril. Right. Le- yes. Again, who had her own career she, going, yeah? Yes, right. And she, the, the reason I liked her voice so much for this was that She's got more of a soul voice than yeah. a country voice. Yeah, exactly. And it really suited what we were doing because we were looking at, once again, it was a rock country band rather than a country rock band. It was a rock band that used to country influences. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then Hard Road was a similar thing. Well, Hard this- Road, now I want everybody listening, if you get a chance to um, to have a listen to Hard Road, and while we're here, I'm looking it up on Spotify right, Chris, because it doesn't come up under Chris Dockley uh, because it's not called Chris Dockley. It's actually Hard Road. Uh, the Journeyman or just Journey, no, Journey Town. Journey right? Town. Was now, there. for anybody listening, that is, uh, and it doesn't get a lot of spins, it is one of the best records you will listen to. It is just fantastic. I mean, put aside that a lot of people used to say that it was a uh, John Cougar Mellencamp band or whatever, and it does sound a lot like that style, but this is Australian and it's original. Uh, There is even Boy on the Run on there, and it is just sensational. And it was a great band, uh, Chris, and what a shame we never saw any more records from that. I mean, did, well, did it work thing. live? Oh, yeah. See, what it started out, that was, the, uh, that was an era when cover bands started to come back. Right. And if you were trying to put a band together of any description, half your band would be in other bands. So getting together for rehearsal or to do gigs was almost impossible. You're always trying to find substitutes and relearn the repertoire. Yeah. There's people all over the place. Yeah. So I had this idea. I said, what if you get the cover band and we make the original band exactly the same people. Yeah. And we'll go out and do the John Mellencamp thing. Yeah. And the money we get from that, we'll put into our own recording. Yeah. As Hard Road of Country is what yeah. it was called initially. Yeah. Um, and that was the concept, and it was working. And um, uh, Hard Road did get to do Tamworth a few times, and we were starting to crack it. Um, I eventually quit because I had business problems on the other end of it might you know won't go into that but um yeah. I, and i've had enough of the road again of course yeah. but it was really good and i look back back fondly on that record i think it was a really a good record and once again i think it may be a little bit ahead of its time it was a bit too rock and roll for the country crowd oh um, definitely yeah this yeah, was american and, uh, this was this is an american, american. record an american record yeah, i agree i agree and great vocalists you know oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Danny and uh, Gary are just sensational. Yeah, no, this is for anybody, do yourself a favour and have a listen to that, Hard Road, Journey Town. 
Um, it is just fantastic, a really underrated record in the sense that it doesn't get as many streams. But yeah. So then from there, where do we go to? you have a bit of a hiatus or what do you do? Oh, yeah, I disappeared for a while because I got involved in um, my wife's catering company. And yes. I sort of put down the guitar for yep. a few years and yep. did that. Um, I just and then you got back to your album, which is We Go to Chris yeah. Stockley, right? That's right, I, yeah, I decided to. Um, I was still writing a bit, and I thought, well, it's very hard convincing people to do your songs, yeah. you know. Um, and so I said, oh, bugger this, I'm working on these songs. If I can't get other people to sing them, and some of the songs we had recorded variously, I hadn't been happy with. I wanted to do different versions of them. So I thought, okay, better or worse, I'm going to put out my album, and that's my little statement. And uh, Running the James Black in the street one day, and we got chatting, and he ended up producing the album. Yeah, which we're very happy with. Well, you know, I don't. You know, you you said earlier in the piece that you don't you don't enjoy playing on your own in the sense of just you and your guitar, but you are a songwriter, and mm-hmm. um, you know you are a great guitarist also, and you're a good singer. All right, so I don't understand why you wouldn't go out now and just. It's Chris Stockley and write an acoustic record. Um, I, I just, I just don't get it because you, you, it, all the qualities are there. They're all there, and uh, people want to hear more of Chris Stockley. So why not give them more? You know, you can write hit songs because you've. Oh yeah, them. like I, I, agree. I, I should be able to do it. The, the vocal was always my problem because when you work with like Glenn Sharp, Brian Cad, Me Barnes, Broderick yeah. Smith, yeah, you know, like. They're true singers. I mean, their voices are yeah. amazing. Yeah. I just don't have the vocal chops they do. Yeah. I can I can carry a tune, and I'm okay singing my own stuff. So I do agree. I could go out and do something like that. I wouldn't do it by myself. But I'd leave a small band sort of thing. And yeah, but I'm not talking about live too. I'm saying about a, a releases. So writing, oh, yeah. so people okay. can get a depth of Chris Stockley and. Um, there's, you know, there's material coming out all the time. The concept in this new digital world, and yeah, I know they say um, streaming doesn't pay, but Laneway Music is strictly a streaming uh, company. But mm-hmm. we do we do have acts, and it it probably comes back from to make money from digital streaming, you must be social media savvy, and that's what it is. Yep. Back in our day, it was the record company would do the marketing and promo because that's what your social media was. Well, whereas now you need to be social media savvy yourself and it works and it does cross-correlate cor- and it does then push the streams. And we have artists to prove that and, it's you know, you've got yep. to be with it. And if you're not, no, it's very hard to get recognised. But put that aside, as you do get discovered, people want depth of catalogue. The concept of an album no longer exists. It's about a single and it's you release a single and you release another single and you release another single. And when you get to 10, you put it together as an album and it it's constant. And there's a whole new way of how the business is working. Very difficult to convince people, but um, the young guys know it back, you know, like the back of their hand and they're doing it and milking it. But I say to people like Chris Stockley, why can't we get more tunes out of Chris Stockley and just release a new track every month and every month and just yeah. a, and it's Chris Stockley on his acoustic guitar, um, ripping out those, you know, tunes that 
you know you can write because you've written them before. And there's no pressure. And, I, I, you know, I, um, I lay down the gauntlet to say we would all love to hear more, more tunes from Chris. Um, you know, you're not done yet, Chris, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, we, we did. Um, I put a, a record with Bram, um, five-track EP, which was pretty good. Um, the problem with that, <clears throat> we really suffered from the COVID thing. Um, yeah. We, I won't go through the whole the whole years of COVID, yeah. but it slowed down the recording. It slowed down everything about it, and we had get this three attempts at a launch. Every one of them cancelled because of COVID. And um, well, you course, know, Chris, at our age, we can't afford to lose three years, and we just lost three years. Yes, I know, and. Um, so I kind of ended up with a bunch of CDs and T-shirts and posters and um, not much to do with them. Although I must say, recently, uh, we did a show at um, Bateman Discs. You know, they oh, yeah. Up now, yep. And we went down, because I've known Suzanne for a long time and they've always been good to me, promoting my records and stuff. And um, we played. It was great. We actually managed to sell a few CDs with yeah. T-shirts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm still writing, and, and that and Brown was good because um, people in the band were writing too, and that was. I don't know if you've heard that record. You know, you no, heard? no, I haven't heard that one. Oh, I'll get no. you a copy. Mate. Oh, a, well, I must get a it, copy it, of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, we, we must. Well, we must put it out on Laneway. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, it's, it's not doing much because we screwed it up completely. With well, we didn't. It was COVID and. Yeah. And all the fact that we spent so much money and it was all down the drain in there. Well, what we'd, what, what, what we'd like to do with you at some stage too, I mean, I can talk about it here while we're talking, is to, you know, we've been running shows at POM and it's, we're not, we're not promoters, so we get very stressed running shows with an audience, but we are going to run some more shows there where we are going to go live to Facebook and YouTube. And um, obviously, you know, it's a, a vision recorded and people will be able to see our artists. So we are going to do that and we would love to have you on one of those shows. Um, and that's why I say to you too, I'd like to lay down the gauntlet. Why do you have to have a band? Why can't it be Chris Dockley with his acoustic guitar and be upfront and personal? Um, you know? <laughs> Uh, you're a salesman. Yeah, well, no, that's right. <laughs> well, we we will discuss that off air and um, and see what we can do. But we would love to see even one new song from you um, on acoustic guitar, um, okay. just just recorded at home. I mean, it's it's all achievable these days. So uh, we've got bands on our label that have got a singer in Spain. Uh, there's someone in Newcastle, there's someone in Sydney, there's someone in Melbourne, and they just keep shooting around all their multi-tracks and bang, there's the album. It's all done, you know, all the songs. So everything's achievable, but we would love to hear some new music from you. So um, we lay down the gauntlet, okay? Okay. Um, you got it. All right. Well, we've uh, it's been great talking to you, Chris, and um, hopefully everybody's enjoyed getting a bit of history from... Chris Dockley and let's I'll, I'll use well from Axiom and the Dingoes the two two biggest yeah. bands and you know and making a mark on the Australian music landscape and I think you've got to be proud about what you've done and we love your music okay okay and you must I'll get, definitely get you a, a copy of that EP it's really good it's called Dancing on the Heads of Snakes oh fantastic and well we'll when, be when looking you get, forward to it when you get it have a listen to the lyrics and You'll see. I'm still writing songs, and 
I think you'll like them on there. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for being on Laneway Talks, Chris, and we will talk to you again soon. And there it is, another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that, there's more. Just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and The Ox, David Schwartz uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers And we're just chewing the fat A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With Ox and Marco I'm thinking about whitening my teeth Just so when I smile There's a new episode every Wednesday Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do <laughs> It's a stupid loaded question A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With David Schwartz and Mark Allen I'm eating the kids Maltese You're eating their of... Christmas present I am a piece of garbage <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts Yes. <laughs>